At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. We have a very educational episode on tap for you guys. We have Peter Wolf from Armstrong. Now, Peter's been in the pump business since 78, okay? And he's going to take us through pump cavitation and the kind of damage it can cause to pump impellers. Now, I don't do a lot of hydronics myself. I don't do a lot of it. So I really learned a lot from this. And I actually seen... A webinar come through on my LinkedIn feed from Armstrong and this is how I got in touch with Peter I reached out and said hey we got to do a podcast on this because it's very educational and if I don't know about this and I'm not saying if I don't know about it nobody should know about it. I'm saying if I don't know about it probably there's a lot of other people that don't know about it either and the kind of damage it can cause so Peter's coming up on the podcast very educational content here, guys. Pay attention, listen up. It's the HVAC Know It All podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. Peter, how you doing tonight? Yeah, fine, Gary. Fine. How are you? I'm I'm doing really well. So uh, the reason I reached out is because I watched a fantastic webinar. Yourself and Armin were, were discussing pump cavitation and then you went on to to go into into depth and there was a a cool video uh, actually I actually found it on YouTube and I shared that video on Instagram and and um, Facebook as well uh, because I thought the video was fascinating with the clear um, piping and oh, yeah. the clear and the clear volute and all that that you mm-hmm. could see you could see what what was happening if you don't mind I would love to get into a discussion about pump cavitation because I don't do a lot of hydronics. So I'm going to learn a lot from you and everybody that's listening is also going to learn a lot about pump cavitation, right? So if you want to just give me a couple of minutes and the audience a couple of minutes of your your background and, and what you do for Armstrong at the moment. Okay, well, uh, I've been in pumps uh, virtually my whole working life. I started in the UK back in 1978. And then I, uh, with one company, a, a Worthington company, then joined a uh, a company called Holden and Brook in 1984 and was working for them until 2004 when Armstrong uh, took over the business. So I've been working for them since 2004 and uh, in the UK and then I came to the US in 20, back end of 2014, five years in the US and currently I'm working for Armstrong at their HQ in uh, Toronto, Canada as a training documentation specialist. It's cool and, and then when I seen this this webinar, I'm like, we really got to talk about this because what I didn't know is that pump cavitation can cause a serious amount of damage to um, like an impeller of a pump. And, and some of the images that I seen in the webinar, th- these things were just demolished. Yeah, uh, in, indeed. So happily, it's very rare and you have to uh, really uh, seriously abuse a pump uh, in order to get that, uh, that sort of damage to occur. Um, 
normally if a pump is installed correctly with, with uh, adequate uh, suction head on the pump, that won't occur. So pumps will uh, give a, a tremendous long life and good reliability. But if you do um, throttle it on the inlet side and, and let the inlet pressure drop uh, sub severely sub-atmospheric, uh, yes, you can cause the water will, uh, will change to change phase to gas temporarily and then change back again to liquid and that, that implosion of the water gas uh, bubbles uh, back into, into liquid uh, and the release of the energy that arising, the latent heat of con condensation is uh, what causes the, uh, uh, the damage to the impeller and to the rest of the pump. So th that's interesting. So can we um, go back just a second and kind of discuss what cavitation is for, for people that don't understand what cavitation is and understand the terminology behind it? Sure. Well, cavitation occurs in pumps and in many other uh, places in, in um, engineering, uh, most commonly in, in the propellers of, uh, of ships. Uh, as the propeller passes through the water, it generates a high pressure, side, high pressure on one side of the impeller and low pressure on the other side of the impeller. And where the pressure is low, the pressure can get low enough such that the uh, vapor, it, the pressure drops below the vapor pressure of water and the water turns to uh, water gas. Then very shortly afterwards, as the water bubble moves, the water gas bubble moves to another part of the impeller where the pressure goes up again and the water gas can uh, then implodes on itself. It condenses back to water, it turns from gas back to water, uh, to liquid water, and then releases energy. And that release of energy is then what damages uh, propellers of ships and uh, impellers of pumps. So pump impellers can get damaged if uh, the pump is sucking water up from a, from a pit, say, or it's sucking water from a, a cooling tower a, a long distance away with a lot of uh, friction loss, uh, pipe losses between the, the, the cooling tower pond or the, or the pit and the pump impeller such that the pressure starts to fall uh, inside, the water pressure starts to fall and goes sub-atmospheric. And eventually it gets so far below atmospheric pressure that uh, it, it, get, it straddles, it, goes, it, it becomes lower than the vapor pressure of the water. Now when water, uh, when water go, when the vapor, when the water, when the pressure of water drops below its vapor pressure, it boils. That's what boiling is. Boiling is when water pressure drops below the vapor pressure. So when the water boils, it's great. Water turns from liquid to gas, changes phase. But when, when water changes back from gas to liquid, it releases energy, heat and power. And it's that, it's that release of heat and power uh, that uh, causes the, the damage to um, impellers. The same, a very similar process occurs in thunderstorms um, where, you have, uh, where you have liquid um, thunderstorm clouds involve gas condensing then as it condenses uh, to create the thundercloud, it gives off energy, which then pulls the water vapor back up the cloud, higher up into the cloud where it uh, then drops as water. So thunderstorms are driven by much the same physical mechanism as uh, cavitation in pumps, um, with, the, with also with the often damaging effects. That's, that's, that's incredible. I, and I remember, I remember now that you brought that up, that you mm. did describe the, the thunderstorm yeah. Um, part of it in the webinar as well. And I remember thinking about that. I'm like, that, that's, that's, that's a very cool. Cause you, you never think about, <laughs> you never think about cavitation in a pump, like the weather is happening outside. But when, when you say it as one, it kind of 
gives mm. you a better understanding. And, and the video that I watched, which is on YouTube and I'll, and I'll, what I'll do is for anybody listening, I'll put that YouTube video in the mm. link. I'll also put the webinar. I'll put, I'll put a, a webinar link in, in the podcast notes so people can go back and watch it. But that video that was part of the webinar, yeah, it had um, clear piping, a clear pump volute and all that. So in that video, if you can take us through what happened, because there was a gentleman, he was kind of describing it and he kind of throttled down the, um, the inlet of the pump to create almost like a vacuum. And when he did that, he created vapor, water vapor coming back through that suction yeah. uh, part, part, part of the, the, the suction line coming back to the pump. So when that came back in, that basically went from a vapor to a liquid right? Is, is that what happened? That was that what was creating that sound as the, the vapor was traveling through? Yes, he, he what he did was he, he'd, he put together a little pumping system involving clear plastic pipe going into the inlet of the pump where the mm -hmm. impeller is. So you could see the water traveling in. And then he put a he had a gate valve on the inlet and uh, a pressure gauge, a, a, a compound gauge, which can show positive and negative pressure. And so the camera was, folk, was looking at both at the water going through the pipe and at the compound gauge as he was throttling on the inlet, uh, on the inlet uh, gate valve. And as he started the throttle, you could see the pressure fall and fall and then go sub-atmospheric into a vacuum, inches of mercury vacuum. And then you saw the water start to turn to gas. You saw ga water bubbles, uh, ga uh, water gas bubbles appear as, uh, as the pressure fell. And that's when the noise started to occur from out of the pump end. Uh, because the water gas bubbles get drawn into the pump. The pump's job is to create energy, so create pressure. So all of a sudden it goes from very low pressure back up to, po to, to atmospheric, to, to above atmospheric pressure, and then the water gas bubbles col uh, collapse, they implode on the impeller vein itself, on the veins of the impeller as it starts to, uh, as, at the part of the impeller which is generating the pressure. And so that's where the, that's where the noise comes, and that noise is... Is, is the noise of the damage that's being done to the impeller by the imploding uh, um, water gas bubbles. Um, I was just thinking about this change of phase thing. If, if there's people listening to this, um, the, this uh, what we're talking about, Gary, and the refrigeration engineers, some of this, some of the physics should be familiar to them. Very, very so. Yeah, because uh, we, we, we deal with change of state and refrigeration all the time because we're dealing with a a compressor that pumps vapor and then we condense that vapor to a liquid then we we um it goes back into the evaporator it turns back into a gas so we're changing state constantly in a refrigeration system and so and refrigeration technicians should be <laughs> they should be able to understand what what we're talking about here with the change of state of, of water vapor to, to to liquid and they'll understand the connection is for both of them is that there's a lot of energy being uh, absorbed and then rejected yes that's right uh, Whereas with the, with the with refrigerant, it's 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 under control, and you're ending up with lots of uh, uh, heat being taken out of a building and 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 rejected into the cooling to, into the condenser water across the tower. Um, cavitation, it's 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 rejected in the form of energy, <laughs> whacking the impeller veins and uh, knocking the impeller out. So, uh, but otherwise, it's it's a change of phase phenomenon that uh, that we're observing for both the refrigeration and the cavitation. So how long would a system, I'll ask you a few more questions here. How long would a system need to, uh, or a pump need to be cavitating for it, for it to really cause some, some damage to the impeller? Is it an extended period of time? Um, a little Too bit long. of time? Three months, six months, a yeah. year. Between three months and a year can see an impeller completely 
um, very heavily damaged after three months and pretty much nothing left after a year if it's left to run continuously cavitating, definitely. Now, does it make a difference on the construction of the impeller, what it's made from? It does. Um, generally, the more brittle the material, the, the quicker it is to, to be damaged. So a cast iron impeller would be the least resistant because it's more, uh, more of a brittle material than, say, bronze or stainless steel. Uh, a stainless steel would be uh, would would be more tough and 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 uh, would uh, withstand the um, the damage better. In fact, a plastic impeller would do well. In fact, the the chap who gave uh, whose video I used did say that the plastic pumps uh, do better than uh, than hard than hard metal pumps because the material is is uh, uh, resilient as opposed and not that brittle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make, makes sense. Um, so what what types of things? cause cavitation like if let's say a system goes in it's designed properly um and then just all of a sudden things start to happen and we start to, to see some cavitation what sort of things within a system can we look can we look for that might be causing our pump to cavitate well it could be a basket strainer on the inlet of the pump which has got too much um, um debris in it yeah cause that makes sense that, that will cause a high drop in pressure and thus reduce the pressure going into the pump and create cavitation. Um, it could be that the water level in the cooling tower pond drops too low and that would cause, uh, that may co cause the uh, static height uh, available on the, uh, from the pond to the pump to drop such that uh, the pumps will cavitate. One of the photographs I showed of the damaged impellers was just such a place. It was a a pump used for transferring water at a in a water treatment plant and it was uh, just being used to transfer water from one pond to another pond to keep it uh, keep it moving um for, to keep its uh, its pure purity and so they were just pumping from one pond and in the during at the start of the night it the, the pond was at top level but by the end of the night it would drain down to the bottom and by that mm -hmm. and through the night the pump started to cavitate and it would cavitate until the the, the, uh, the operatives turned up the next morning and then turned it off. And then they they turned it on again the next night and repeat the same cycle every night, which is how uh, the, the, I think the first photograph, uh, which was of uh, uh, which was given to me by a colleague of mine at, at Armstrong uh, uh, a few weeks before the presentation, um, the, that was a real life, real uh, impeller that had been damaged quite recently. In a on a water treatment plant, just mm -hmm. trying to empty a, just emptying a pond, and then it would go to cavitate as the pond got empty, purely mm -hmm. because of the it was lifting a lot from a lot lower down than it had done at the beginning. It was lifting from a lot lower down at the end of the night than it was at the beginning of the of the shift. So a couple things here, guys. One, you guys have seen me post. If you follow me on social media. You see me post a blue liquid in a spray bottle. It's called Chinook. Now Chinook is a unique product to the industry because it's for washable filters that you pull out of like ductless splits, for example. So it kills microbial, kills bacteria, okay? Um, I've used it several times on the ductless splits that I take care of. I don't take care of a lot, but I've used it on them. There's a light scent to it, nothing major. It's carried by Cool Air products in North America and it's actually carried by True Tech Tools, okay? Um, cooler Products stuff is at True Tech Tools, and as always, guys, there's an 8% discount code for most of the stuff in their store. Use code KNOWITALL to save 8%.
couple things leading up to the CMPX show. As you guys know, if you listen, I'm going to be there in March. I'm going to give some, do some giveaways at the show. One, Yellow Jacket Torque Wrench, Digital Torque Wrench. Okay, it's a phenomenal tool, especially if you're working on ductless splits and doing a lot of flaring and a lot of flare nuts. The other thing I'm going to be giving away at the show is a Testo 316-3 leak detector. Now, yeah, the H10 is good, and so is the Inficon DTEC Stratus, but let me tell you that I found every leak that I've went to try to or attempt to find with the 316-3, and I found every single one, and it's a lot cheaper than those other two brands. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying bang for your buck. The Testo 316-3 is a phenomenal leak detector. I've heard on route is a Navac 4CFM vacuum pump, battery powered, so I can create some content around it, show you guys how it works and how cool it is. I can't wait to try it myself. And Navac's going to be at the CMPX show, and we're going to do a little giveaway leading up to the show, um, hopefully soon, with a couple of items that are also on route. House Call Pro, guys, um, they've been a sponsor for a while now, and they're they're promoting their product through HVAC Know It All on the podcast because they have a, a product that helps take papers off desks and out of trucks, helps you get more organized, paperless billing, invoicing, dispatching, taking payment from the door, all that type of jazz. If you follow the link in the podcast notes, you'll get $19, a $19 first month. Okay. So check that stuff out, guys. Let's get back to Peter. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Harago, a trades-only platform helping you find the right job or the right candidate. Harago.com, best in trade. So basically any type of restriction for, for water coming back to the pump is going to cause or can cause cavitation. A restriction, um, a lift, an excessive lift from, uh, from the source of the water up into a pump if it's got to lift it on, on the inlet side. Okay. Uh, another th- and the third piece is if the water gets too hot, because mm-hmm. a key component in the calculation for the amount of uh, available, the net available pressure at the pump is uh, the, um, uh, the vapor pressure of the pump and of the water. So if the water gets too hot, um, then it's, uh, it's the amount of uh, temperature advantage, the amount of the delta between the atmospheric pressure and the vapor pressure of the water drop, uh, disappears. Normally, uh, it, when you're calculating the amount of uh, net positive suction head on a pump, if the water is at ambient temperature, you get 32 foot or a little over 10 meters of, of positive pressure, purely from atmospheric pressure. The difference between atmospheric pressure and the vapor pressure of cold water but as water heats up and approaches boiling, the vapor pressure equals that of the atmosphere. And that advantage that you get, the temperature advantage with, of atmospheric pressure disappears to zero as the water uh, start, gets to the boiling point. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if the water gets too hot, then you will get cavitation. Hence why uh, uh, condensate return pumps for pumps pump, uh, returning steam condensate back into steam systems always have the uh, condensate receiver up above the pump uh, held high above the pump so that there'd be enough static head uh, uh, from the receiver down into the pump to avoid cavitation. And the pumps themselves are specially designed to have as low a suction head requirement as possible, as low an MPSH requirement as as possible. 
nonetheless if you do if you were to take the water from 95 centigrade up to 98 centigrade 99 centigrade the pumps will start to cavitate again as the temperature went up so to sum up prevent excessive restriction on the inlet excessive lift and too high a, too high an operating temperature or approaching boiling point of the water those are the three main risk points for getting cavitating pumps gotcha and that was kind of that was going to kind of lead into my next question is what um what can we do to to solve the problem if we have cavitation and i think you you kind of answer those look for a restriction make sure the water's not too hot and look for excessive an excessive lift in in the system right yeah and failing that uh, you clean out any strainers see if it's possible re reorganize the pipework to keep it straight and as uh, and uh, keep it as straight as possible make sure that any uh, water that the pipe is going straight line into the pump with no high points to prevent any air pockets which can uh, also uh, um, cause a restriction of water into the into the pump um, those are the, those are the key ones lift good pipe work no no right angle bends as well no no sharp elbows going into the pump because uh, the presentation does talk about how the uh, the the measurement of the, of the likelihood of a pump cavitating is measured by its npsh requirement its net positive suction head requirement and npsh is measure is is measured on a on a standard test bed with um 10 straight pipe diameters going into the pump to ensure that we get a regular repeatable number and all pump manufacturers use this uh, have to use this minimum number so that they get figures which are can be adequately benchmarked the problem being that pumps aren't installed in perfectly um, test bed type installations with 10 straight 10 straight pipe diameters going into the inlet very often they've got an elbow straight on the inlet and as soon as that happens then you end up with turbulence going into the impeller and the actual the actual MPSH, the actual net positive suction head requirement of the pump, is higher than the um, measured number off the test bed. So you do have to apply a safety margin when to the MPSH requirement of pumps from their published curves before you uh, actually choose one to put in put into a, a real live system, knowing that the the MPSH is a theoretical figure taken on a, on a, in a test situation, not in a real life uh, pump installation. Mm -hmm. You know what I was, I was thinking of during the, the conversation here, as you were, you were talking about restrictions, I think of buildings in the past that I've worked in that were, um, they were heat pump buildings. So basically like a, for example, like an eight story office building and there was maybe per floor, maybe 20 heat pumps in the ceiling and they all use condenser water, um, in the summer and winter in, in the summer, they would use a cooling tower to cool it and then boilers in the winter to heat the water back up to maintain yeah. around like 80 degrees. So they all had balancing valves on them. So I'm thinking like, what if there's service call after service call after service call, like 10 years of service calls and the technicians going up and they're all playing with the balancing valves. Mm -hmm. Is that eventually going to start to cause an issue? Um, if, if they adjust them down too much, um, cause a lot of them were not, were not three way. There was just balancing. It was just like in and out. There was no three way valve to keep the flow going. It was just in and out and that, that's it. Well, um, I don't think you're going to suffer any problems of, you know, unlikely to suffer cavitation problems. Um, okay. but I had a 
a problem job down in um, Richmond, Virginia last year, which had which was exactly that installation you took you described exactly. It was an old, quite a large old uh, elder a retirement home, very large new retirement home, and the problem they had there was that uh, they had a a bypass uh, over the cooling tower, and the bypass and but uh, they kind of skimped on the on the valving and the control valving and so there wasn't any balancing valve over the bypass so that every time the cooling tower was taken out of line because they'd reached temperature and they went through the bypass the pump ran on down the curve and <laughs> ended up getting into trouble <laughs> so uh, it wasn't cavitating per se but it was uh, it was going beyond the end of the curve and that wasn't good for it was then uh, it was then uh, tripping out on on overload uh-huh uh, so we found uh, there were other problems as well, uh, which were the fact that the I think the the units hadn't been properly commissioned. It was a, a they put in a new cooling tower and a new pump, but didn't do anything to the pipework system around the around the uh, the the, the pipework system was the same as it had been when it was put in ten or twelve years ago. So it wasn't in balance, uh, uh, and uh, uh, there were areas that were getting starved. Uh, put it this way, that type of system does need careful setting up, I agree. And balancing is a key part of the process, absolutely, in order to ensure that you get the right temperatures in all the rooms mm -hmm. and also end up with the pumps uh, min working at the minimum possible um, speed in order to uh, ensure that you're getting the right circulation without ex without using excessive power and wasting too much money on, uh, on utility costs. So it, it, it's certainly um, it, it's certainly a, a challenge for the uh, startup engineer and the commissioning guy, definitely. Mm -hmm. I I have a I have one more question, um, and and I know you got to take uh, you're going to take your dog for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> now that was yeah, I got the, the late evening shift. I've done the early shift. <laughs> um, so what have you used a variable speed pump? Could you reduce the chance of cavitation because it will kind of adjust to. The, the, the low suction pressure and, and kind of lower the speed so it's not pulling back and creating that suction will that help or not well uh, yes so the way the way it helps though and this is what we did in the virginia site we we used our variable speed pumps with their own onboard speed controls and uh, with, with they adjust their own speed they don't need a bms to do to send signals the building didn't have a control system so uh, we were heavily dependent upon doing our own thing so we used, uh, what we used was the ability for the pump to maintain a constant flow rate, uh, irrespective of what the head was of the system. So when the, uh, so we set it to a constant GPM. And so when the, when the bypass valve, when, when the, the cooling tower bypass opened up, the pump would just uh, slow down. And then when the bypass shut, uh, it would slow down, so it would run at a lower speed keeping the same flow rate, even though the resistance was less. And then when the bypass closed off and the water went over the cooling tower, the pump would speed up. The GPM would stay the same. The head pump head would cycle up and down, up and down, depending on whether it's going over the bypass or across the cooling tower. So we were able to keep the right GPM at all times without ever having to have a third party control system put in place. Nice. Cool. So, all so right. So variable speed definitely has uh, has a role to play, especially if you've got the right right type of speed controls controlled to that speed to keep it under control and working at the at the right speed, doing the right GPM. Yeah, and that that's where the the setup and proper commissioning and all that comes in, and getting the right people to do that because setting setting up a, a building that's brand new, 
I think is very important for the longevity of the equipment, right? Uh, it is, and uh, most most uh, VFDs have got a, uh, a set of um, have got a set of um, parameters which have which are in a two hundred pa- page volume. Happily, the the units we have, the the control panel we use ourselves, or our own little keypad, is a it's modelled on on a on a smartphone with the icons. So it's very very intuitive, and all you have to do is press the cog button, and then press the pump control button, and then it gives you a choice of uh, constant flow or constant pressure or the quadratic pressure. And you just press a button, and then up comes a little keypad, and you just enter the GPM you want, the foot of head, press enabled, and then away you go. Mm-hmm. So it's designed to make it very user friendly. So um, all of our sales guys know how to use it. Most all of our uh, representative guys uh, are taught how to use it, and it, it's something we happy we happily quickly give. Uh, um, it's very quick to learn for um, uh, site operatives and the like. Much easier than running a, uh, a complex uh, VFD with its uh, fam- set of control parameters, where it's buried on you know forty two point zero point four or whatever the, to get to the right parameters. Here on our one, it's just a bunch of icons and press the button and away you where you go. Awesome. Okay. Well, Peter, I, I appreciate your time. Um, I want you to go take your dog for some exercise. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I learned um, I learned some stuff there about pump cavitation that I didn't know before. So I'm I'm very glad that we spoke and we were able to get this done. Okay. Thank you very much, Gary. Appreciate the invitation. Look forward to another one sometime. Well, thank you for that, Peter. That was phenomenal. Now we have the information to arm ourselves. And again, it's what it's about here. It's about education and spreading, spreading the news, spreading the love, if you will, within the industry. So we all are on the same page and we can all move forward being better educated. We're better educated. We have more knowledge, more power. We can help our customers a bit better and we're all better people for it. So Peter, thank you very much. That was pump cavitation guys and the damage it can do if not looked upon and how it's caused and what we can do to solve it. So great podcast. I'm out. Happy HVACing.